Sid's room, not there. If you've ever seen the Toy Story movies, you may remember the neighbor kid, Sid. His room is presented in horror movie fashion, with dim lighting and discordant music. And his toys are all in pieces, as he dismantles them and remakes them in his own crazy ways. To Mitch Resnick, an MIT Media Lab professor and an early pioneer of the maker movement for kids, this Hollywood portrayal is problematic, and he sees it as part of a larger trend toward overly regimenting education these days. Resnick argues that all kids, and and even grown-ups, should approach life the way we all did in kindergarten, where learning happens through playfully rearranging the world around us. He makes that case in his new book, Lifelong Kindergarten, Cultivating Creativity Through Projects, Passion, Peers, and Play. He essentially argues that the inventors of kindergarten really had it right, and in a way they inadvertently designed the kind of learning environment that we need at all levels of education these days, whether in school, college, or even the workplace. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. This week, I talked with Resnick about how he'd like those movies like Toy Story to depict play and education, and about what's next for the free scratch programming language for kids that his MIT lab developed. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. All right, I'm talking today with Mitch Resnick, a professor at the MIT Media Lab and author of the new book, Lifelong Kindergarten, Cultivating Creativity Through Projects, Passion, Peers, and Play. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be with you. Uh, I understand you're at your lab today at the at the Media Lab. I've, I've gotten a chance to visit there, and it's such a memorable looking place. Can you describe for those who haven't seen it? you know, the, uh, the, the, the learning, lifelong kindergarten lab that you run? In some ways, we really try to live out the idea of lifelong kindergarten. So we try to treat our own lab space somewhat like a big kindergarten. Uh, so as I look right outside my office here, I see shelves full of different craft materials. We have sort of advanced technology mixed together with very low technology, all sorts of building things for people to be able to constantly prototype, try things out. Uh, Of course, we also have meeting areas, but even in the meeting areas, it's somewhat playful. In our main area where we uh, meet with guests, there's a table which is full of Lego bricks. Yeah, if you're if, when I was waiting for you, I think I built uh, built a little something out of Legos uh, the last time I was there. Um, <laughs> I wanted to start with your take um, on the popular uh, movie. I think that a lot of our our listeners have have seen, um, which is Toy Story. the The hero of that movie is is I guess the kid Andy and and his toys that come to life. I guess the toys are the of the, the kind of heroes of the story. But I understand you have something against the way that kind of play is portrayed with with Andy and his toys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the the one of the main bedrooms in the story is Andy's bedroom, where all the toys come alive and the toys are active, doing all sorts of different things. And there's Mr. Potato Head who's talking to the Slinky Dog. Right. And then there's another bedroom that's across the backyard. There's another boy named Sid, and Sid's bedroom has a very different feel. Uh, it's and it's more of an invention workshop. So rather than the toys just automated doing things on their own, Sid is always taking toys apart, putting them back together. So he's a real inventor. So it feels more like an inventor's workshop. But Sid's room is presented in a very uh, sort of sinister light. And in fact, 
there are some real problems with SID. SID is, you know, sometimes cutting off the heads of dolls. But I worry about the way that the movie presents the inventor as the sort of dysfunctional character. And the bedroom with the toys that come alive on their own is the one that's full of light and seen in a very positive light. So I think worry that sometimes the popular media, you know, is going to glorify just the wonderful toys that do things on their own, as opposed to glorifying the kids who are designing, creating, and experimenting on their own. Yeah, obviously the the Sid character is is not a, a major figure in that movie, but it is interesting because I hadn't really thought that much about Sid. I mean, he is kind of this everything's in pieces and it's presented as very chaotic, but in some way that may have more in common with your lab than than the other parts of that movie. Right. I do think Sid's bedroom does feel more like our lab. But don't get me wrong, there's some problems with Sid. There's some deviant behavior going on there, which, but I don't think that deviant behavior should be associated with experimenting and making. And that's what's unfortunate. So clearly, we want to try to present an inventor's workshop, one that's open with possibilities and allows everybody to take their imagination and create things that come to life. Now, you make an interesting argument in the book that, I mean, I guess it seems like the central argument is that while um, kindergarten is this thing that many of us went through as, as kids and it's it's seen as a time that, that, that young people are allowed to play and sort of discover and, and that's, that's learning and valued that way to um, other parts of life. And you're sort of arguing that um, other parts of life should should these days needs to continue some of the spirit and ethos of of kindergarten, and that you're you know I can imagine a lot of people would would kind of hear some of that and feel like well um, you know the, there are things about kindergarten that were nice, but that life and you know that that being a grown up is exactly not being in kindergarten. So I uh, guess is that you're you're sort of making this case for for play beyond the the age of toys. So I really do think that the rest of life really should be more like kindergarten. But we have to then think about, well, what is it that's at the essence of kindergarten? And if we go back to the traditional kindergarten, and kindergarten was first invented about 200 years ago, and it was explicitly designed to be different than the traditional school, where traditional schools uh, back 200 years ago were primarily about delivering instruction, delivering information, students then dutifully wrote down on paper and recited back. And the early kindergartens recognized that something very different was needed for five-year-olds. And they, the uh, creator of the first kindergarten, uh, Froibel, um, even designed a new set of toys to encourage playful design and experimentation activities. Um, so I think from the early kindergartens, we, you know, it was seen that this was a good way to start children on creative expression and creative thinking, providing with the right materials and support to allow them to design, create, experiment, and explore. And when I've looked at that idea of kindergarten, I see it as based on four core principles that I uh, organized my book around, projects, passion, peers, and play. If you look at a traditional kindergarten, Children are working on projects, whether it's building a tower with wooden blocks or making a picture with finger paint. They work on things they deeply care about. Uh, you know, they have their own, you know, they, they love the idea of a fantasy castle, and that's what drew them to make that castle with the blocks. Uh, 
Uh, a lot of things are done in playful collaboration. They're working with their peers, not just sitting by themselves at a desk working in a solitary fashion. And it's all done in a playful spirit where they're constantly experimenting and trying new things. So the kindergarten was really based on kids work on projects based on their passions in collaboration with peers in a playful spirit. And unfortunately, a lot of that goes away as children get go on in school. But I think in a way that the inventor of kindergarten could not have known 200 years ago, I think kindergarten is incredibly well suited to the needs of today's society. We live in a society that's changing more rapidly than ever before. So today's children, as they grow up, are going to face a never-ending stream of unknown and uncertain situations. So the most important thing for them to learn is how to uh, think and act creatively, how to come up with innovative solutions to new situations that they confront. And I think that approach of kindergarten, projects, passion, peers, and play, is the best way to help children develop as creative thinkers. Uh, because if you're just learning a list of facts or a set of skills, those might be obsolete in the future, but the ability to think and act creatively will never be obsolete. So I really think we can learn lessons from kindergarten and take it through and carry through through the rest of schooling and into the rest of life. Again, here in the, in, at the MIT Media Lab, I think the Media Lab has been such a creative place with so many wonderful innovations because we run it like a big kindergarten. So it keeps alive the child inside and allows people through projects, passion, peers, and play to come up with creative contributions. So we see it working in the traditional kindergarten. We see it working at the Media Lab. We just want to spread those ideas to more places. As you mentioned, there's a real challenge today because even kindergartens are starting to become more like the rest of school with children filling out phonics worksheets and, and looking at arithmetic flashcards. So kindergarten is becoming more like the rest of school and we want to do exactly the opposite, make the rest of school and the rest of life more like kindergarten because we deeply believe that that's going to be the best way to help children prepare for life in a society that's going to value and require creative thinking more than ever before. It's a fascinating idea, and in the um, and I think a, a lot of people might be nodding their heads, but other people might be sort of thinking, well, um, that all sounds good, but there's more to there's more to learn than I mean, there are some things that that kids just need to learn, and and that they're that in the wrong hands, this playfulness could just be a waste of time. And but, I guess but, you know, I think it's of, really I think it's really important to to move away from this dichotomy of either you're learning things or you're playing that it's not one or the other. People do tend to fall into that dichotomy because in arguing for a kindergarten approach, it certainly does not mean we don't think that certain uh, concepts you know, aren't important to learn. When children are in kindergarten and they build a tower with blocks, they're learning about structure and stability. When they're making pictures with finger paints, they're learning how colors mix together. They're learning both important concepts and important skills. But what's, for me, the important issue is they're learning those skills through projects while working on projects. So I really think the best way to learn the important skills and concepts, which we do need to learn, is in the context of projects. Oftentimes in traditional schooling, uh, the view is that we have to learn the skills and concepts before working on projects. So you have to learn the basics first, and then you can apply them. 
And I think that's really misguided uh, because you end up learning a lot of disconnected facts and skills, uh, and then you're not able to make use of it in a meaningful way. So I think it's much more valuable to learn and more productive to learn those skills and concepts in the context of working on meaningful projects. I'm curious because that um, – I, I, is there – have you found in – because clearly you're applying these um, ideas in both in your lab and in, in, in projects like Scratch, um, which for those who don't know it is a, a programming language aimed at um, young people. What's the age group on that that, that, that kind of spins out from, from Logo? Um, it's age eight and up for Scratch. The core age is like eight to 16, but it continues and is used beyond that. And then we have Scratch Junior for age five to seven. Um, so I guess the I wonder sometimes when I when I look at Scratch and when I look at at, at the argument you're making that that maybe this idea that you can just do projects and pick up the knowledge as you go um, does that work for everyone or does that work for people who are very well prepared in other uh, parts of their life in school? Because I do wonder sometimes about whether the um, whether there are some, um, whether some people might get left behind in efforts like this if they don't have as much support around them, and I guess I wonder what the demographic information, for instance, on Scratch. Do you feel like it's a that that people of various preparations end up finding it, or is it only for places that are kind of well-resourced schools that might have uh, a lot, you know, that might have more support going on for the students before they encounter this this pro- program? Well. Again, right now, Scratch just is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Uh, so things have changed over that time. Actually, in the past year, uh, the number of kids who had some interaction with Scratch in the past year was more than 200 million kids. Mm-hmm. So it's very widely, you know, it's connected to a very wide range of kids. Uh, I think at the very beginning, Scratch might have been getting out there through word of mouth to just certain subsets of the population. Right now, I think it's really reaching kids very broadly. The fastest growing uh, place where Scratch is being used is in schools and is being used in a wide variety of different types of schools. But I would emphasize, I want to separate, um, when you talk about people being left behind, it is important to support people as they're using Scratch. You know, some people will just pick it up on their own without much support. Others certainly need support. We're not arguing that everyone's going to learn to do everything on their own. So a project-based approach doesn't mean you do everything on your own. You, we want to have support from peers, from mentors, from you know, others in our life who are helping us in doing this. You know, doing work on projects does require support. We shouldn't expect everyone to just magically start doing it on their own. But in fact, I think a lot of times the people who have been least successful academically is because they haven't resonated with the way traditional schools work of having you learn lots of disconnected pieces of knowledge. So I think if we want to reach a much wider range of people, it's especially important to take a project-based approach where people are working on things that are meaningful to them and they see a good reason for why they're learning these things. So I think trying to focus on more meaningful and motivating approaches is in fact very important for reaching more broadly. Hmm. No, I, I see your argument. And, you know, I, I noticed... I'll, just, I'll, just mention, I'll just mention one of our approaches as we design new technologies like Scratch. Um, one thing that we think about 
that I learned from my mentor, Seymour Poppert. Um, and Seymour used to say we would, it's important to design technologies with a low floor and a high ceiling, meaning design it so it's easy to get started with and you can do more and more complex things over time. We certainly believe in a low floor and a high ceiling, but we focus a lot on what we call wide walls. And when we say wide walls, we're saying that we don't want to just have everybody go the same path from low floor to high ceiling, because we know that different kids have different interests. So we want to have many different pathways to, for both getting started and progressing. I think a, a problem with a lot of different academic activities is people present with one way of doing things, and that works for some, but not for others. So in, in our design of Scratch and other technologies, we put a lot of focus on wide walls. How can we make sure that there are many different ways of using the technology? Because we know different kids have many different interests, so we want to make sure to connect with the interests of all different kids so they all can engage in the important concepts and ideas you know, while working on activities that they really care about. Now, that's not always easy to do. I'm not claiming that this is an easy path to take, but I think it's the right path to take, and we should put our focus to make sure that it works this way. It's a dilemma that has been around for a long time. The great philosopher and educator, John Dewey, who sort of created the progressive education movement, he talked about his ideas being simple but not easy. He could clearly express it, but it was not easy to implement. And I think it's the same thing with us, that you know, I think the approach we're taking is really important to make sure a wide range of kids connect with these ideas in ways that are meaningful to them. But it's important to note that we have to work hard to set up the right type of environments to support those kids as they're learning. I was curious on another project that, that you worked on um, or that, that the people in your lab put together. Uh, I'm not even sure. Maybe it's still going. But the, there was a free online class um, called Learning Creative Learning where you were, it was kind of this idea of, of even people outside of K-12 school, like throughout your lives, this approach of could be beneficial. Um, is that, uh, could you tell me a little bit about that class and is that still going? Yeah, so actually it's, 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 it's uh, appropriate to ask about it now because we're going to run the class again starting next month in October and use readings from the book Life on Kindergarten as some of the core materials for the class. Mm. So hopefully a lot of the people who are uh, you know, reading this or listening to this will find it interesting to come and participate in the class. We started the online class for the first time a few years ago, right when MOOCs were becoming popular. And we weren't very satisfied with what we saw in the early MOOCs. It felt to us a lot of the early MOOCs were just about delivering information and delivering instruction, putting videos online for people to watch. Right. These were the ones value to that. Yeah. And a lot of the the world's famous universities like MIT and and of course, Harvard and Stanford and all these were putting out these free classes, these massive open online courses. Right. Yes. And, you know, and again, there's some value to that, but we felt that that didn't capture the essence of what we thought rich learning would, should be about. So in fact, we wanted to create an online course that captured more of the spirit of projects, passion, peers, and play. Those run somewhat more in a kindergarten spirit. So we tried to think, how can we run an online class uh, where it wasn't just about delivering information and instruction, but in connecting people with others so they could share and collaborate uh, to allow people to get engaged in playful experiment, experimentation. 
to allow people to follow, to follow up on things they really cared about. So we created, and as a topic for the class, we thought it'd be nice to reach out to educators and designers who'd be interested in this topic of creative learning. So we called the course Learning Creative Learning, but our goal was to have adults who are interested in creative learning to learn more about creative learning and to share their ideas with one another. So we ran the class and we were really excited about the way that people came together from around the world and shared ideas with one another. Although we started as a class, as an online course, what was most exciting to us is it became a community where people were connecting with other people, sharing ideas, sharing projects, sharing resources with one another. And that's our goal is to have something that's not just a, a course, but an ongoing learning community. So again, that's our goal as we continue with this next round of learning creative learning this fall is how we can provide opportunities for people who are interested and curious about kids, creativity and learning to come together, share ideas with one another, learn from one another, where they can be creative learners themselves and also learn more about the process of creative learning so they can support other people in creative learning experiences. And so, yeah, you've been talking about the, uh, this book is kind of a long time coming, it sounds like, right? I mean, you've been talking about some of these ideas. That's the name of your lab is Lifelong Kindergarten. Um, what's, what's uh, and the, the, I guess the, the, the course is coming up um, for learning creative learning, but um, what, is, what is next for you? What's the next project you're working on? Well, in many ways, now that we have Scratch out in the world and, you know, reaching so many young people around the world, right now I'm really motivated to see how can we build upon that platform to reach even more and provide even a wider range of experiences and to make sure that it gets used in uh, the ways that we had hoped, that it remains aligned with our values. Because you can always get a tool out there and people might use it in a very different way of having people just learn Scratch to do step-by-step -step or only to use it to learn specific computer science concepts. As we developed Scratch, it was not just about learning how to code or learning compu specific computer science concepts, but how to become a creative learner, how to express yourself creatively. You know, not just develop your own thinking, but also develop your voice so you can use new technology to express your ideas and to also develop your identity so you see yourself as someone who can design and create and be an active contributor you know, to the society. So we really want to make sure that as our technologies get out there, they're really seen in that way, that it's seen not just as a new technical skill, but a type of fluency that allows people to express themselves in new ways and learn in new ways. So we're right now working on the next generation of Scratch that will come out next year, it's called Scratch 3.0, our third generation of Scratch. And it will make it possible to connect Scratch with many other things in the world. We don't want Scratch just to be a standalone uh, environment where kids are just sharing on the Scratch website. We want to make it easy to connect Scratch to things in the world, to connect Scratch to other online services, uh, web services. Like Facebook so we want to and that have kind of thing? This, or yeah, or, or here's an example of something we're working on, you know, a web service like Spotify, where you can get, you know, different, you know, you go to Spotify, you can get different songs. 
Well, from your scratch project, if you should be able to have programmatically, you know, ask somebody what's your, your favorite musician and then go to Spotify and then it should go, be able to go to Spotify, pull in music from that you know, musician. Or if somebody's making an, a weather map in Scratch, right now in Scratch, I could make a weather map and I could, and I could you know, code in temperatures in different parts of the world, but it wouldn't stay up to date. Scratch should be able to connect to online databases and pull in data in a real-time way. Or if I want to use Scratch to control things in the world, different robotic constructions, or being able to build an, an artistic sculpture that has different sensors and motors and lights, I should be able to control that with Scratch. So it becomes the same way that when, as we use traditional language in many different ways. We, write, write it, we use language to write a shopping list, a grocery list, but also to write a poem or a birthday card for a friend. We use regular language in so many different ways. We want to make sure that people develop a fluency with Scratch and that we allow it to be used in so many different ways so that people both uh, are able to use it for things they care about and also to feel that it's worth making the investment to learn it so that you can use it in so many different ways. Uh, it is, you know, that takes an effort to continue to learn new things with Scratch, the same way that learning to write doesn't come simply, but it's worth learning to write because we can use it in so many different ways, and it's valuable. When we learn to read and write, it helps us learn many other things and express ourselves in new ways. We want coding to be the same way. It's not just for people who are planning to go on and become professional programmers, although some will, and that's a fine career trajectory, but that's not our primary goal. Our goal is to allow everybody to express themselves with new technology. So I see this very much aligned with learning to write, that we want to make Scratch you know, you know, feel like you can use it for so many different ways, the same way you can use writing in so many different ways. Uh, well, it's great. I really appreciate your uh, sharing uh, of this and, and talking about your book today. Thanks for joining us. Great. It was great talking with you. This has been the Ed Surge On Air podcast. If you don't already, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. We're listed on pretty much all of them. And send along any suggestions or comments to feedback at edsurge.com. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Join us next week for another conversation about the future of education. Thanks for listening.